Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the Transfiguration of Our Lord, February 27, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text for Transfiguration Sunday is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. can be found on your pew Bible on page 1609 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took, him, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in, these, in those days anything of what they had seen. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The transfiguration represents a high point in the flow of the church here. It is especially important as the apex of the season of Epiphany. In Epiphany, Jesus is revealed to the world for who he is, the divine Son of God who has come to save us from our sins. Epiphany begins with the Magi arriving at Bethlehem to give Christ gifts and to worship him. And now it ends with Jesus atop the Mount of Transfiguration, revealed in all his glory as the central message of Scripture. There are many ways to approach, study, and meditate upon the Transfiguration. But, but today we're going to build our examination of the Transfiguration by looking at its place in the flow of the church year. And we get to do this because of a phrase that I have often overlooked and moved beyond in the gospel lesson. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, and Luke tells us that they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What we will see is that the glory of the transfiguration, the glory of Jesus Christ, prepares us all for the solemnness of Lent that follows. So turning our eyes back to Luke 9 this morning, first we see Jesus' glory and the exodus. 
At the beginning of our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up on a mountaintop to pray, and that will be important to us a little bit more in a few minutes. And as Jesus was praying, things began to change drastically. Jesus was transformed, or better yet, transfigured before their eyes, shining bright white, his appearance changing. And then Jesus was joined by Moses and Elijah, who both spoke with him audibly. This is the setup for the key phrase we are focusing on this morning. As Moses and Elijah spoke, they spoke of Jesus' departure to Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. This is a clear reference to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. The the, the word that ties it all up for us is accomplish. Jesus completed something as he went to Jerusalem. But what we might miss, especially if you don't pay attention to a footnote that may or may not be in your Bible, is that Jesus' departure is highly significant for another reason. The Greek word here used for departure is literally exodus. Not not the Greek word for exodus, it's literally exodus. That's what it is. And what this means is that Jesus' transfiguration ties his death, resurrection, and ascension to the central redemptive act of the Old Testament, the exodus. This is intentional word usage on Luke's part. And what this means for us is that Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension is really the central redemptive act of all Scripture. As Jesus, in the transfiguration, prepares to go to Jerusalem, he is preparing us for the reality that the Exodus account in the Old Testament, and really all the history in the Old Testament, isn't merely history. The Old Testament is preparation for Jesus. Sure, you might say we already know that. It's patently obvious to Christians who have been paying attention through the course of Christian history. But what we might miss is the importance of the transfiguration to all this. The transfiguration at the height of the season of Epiphany, revealing Jesus in all his divine glory, also declares to us the height of the glory of God, the triune God. And that height is the redemption of humanity. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey during Palm Sunday, he does so to deliver his people from bondage to sin. Jesus' death on the cross is the culmination of Passover. Jesus' resurrection is the culmination of the crossing of the Red Sea. And even now, he is preparing a place for his people in the eternal promised land as we wander through the wilderness of life. The transfiguration is our landmark in Scripture that what Jesus does in his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection and his ascension is all God's plan. And in fact, it was all God's plan from the very beginning. What Jesus does in redeeming sinful humanity is the height of the glory of God. 
God's glory does not exist from his desire and his ability and his accomplished salvation for you. From there, we move on to Jesus' glory in the season of Lent. Aside from the theological significance which connects Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection and ascension to the Exodus, there's another reality here, one that connects us with Jesus' disciples. Now, Jesus spent a fair amount of time preparing his disciples for his departure. He spoke of his death often. He spoke of his resurrection often. He even spoke of his ascension, of how he was returning to the Father. And as he spoke of these things, the disciples really didn't get it at all. At least until after the fact, after it was all over, when the Holy Spirit came and illumined them to Jesus' teaching and wisdom. During the suffering, during Christ's trial and passion, during the crucifixion, and during the early days of Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were afraid and confused. They didn't understand what was going on at all. And that's why the Transfiguration's connection to Lent is so important for us. Lent is the season in the church year that is designed to emphasize the suffering of Christ and our own mortality. During Ash Wednesday, in just three days now, you'll have the opportunity to receive a cross of ashes on your forehead and hear the divine reminder that you are dust and to dust you shall return. This is all, of course, a result of your sin and your sinfulness. But all of us live in the reality that our death may just be a moment away and our death is the just consequence of our sin. Death and mortality are ever present with us as sinners. And so during Lent, we reflect on this. But the point of all this is that we end up seeing the impact of our sin and we feel its effect on our lives in a biblically sanctioned way so that we might repent. And this is why the transfiguration is so important to Lent. It helps us remember God's glory in all this. Specifically, it helps us remember that God's glory overcomes our sin and suffering to deliver us. As we suffer in life, we often forget about God's presence in our lives. We either deceive ourselves into believing that as we suffer, God is punishing us or has abandoned us because of our failures or we think that God is somehow detached from us, waiting for us to learn some sort of cosmic lesson before he returns to us to bless us. But Lent reminds us, and Lent's connection to the transfiguration reminds us, that God himself walks through our suffering with us. As Jesus is presented to us this morning, as the divine God himself, beaming and shining brightly, we remember that this God became man and walked among us, and that he suffered with us and for us, and that he ultimately died in our place. 
And it is the glory of God to deliver us into an eternity free from sin and suffering. Finally then, we see in the transfiguration Jesus' glory and his disciples. This is the one last reality in the transfiguration that impacts us. And it's one that a pastor friend of mine pointed out to me this week. I entirely missed it in all my years as a pastor. Consider this. Peter, John, and James join Jesus as he goes up a mountain to pray. And they fall asleep on the job. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because Matthew also records that Peter, John, and James went up on a mountain with Jesus to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they, again, fell asleep on the job. But as Jesus was transfigured before Peter, John, and James, the disciples embraced the glory of Christ. Peter thought it would be good for them to build shelters and remain in that glory, to stay there with Jesus at the height and apex of his glory, to the exclusion of everyone else in their lives. The other nine disciples didn't matter. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and their families didn't matter. What only mattered to Peter at that moment is that he had somehow managed to find himself in the great and glorious presence of God and that's all he cared about. And he wanted to stay there. But as Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat drops of blood as he prayed about his death under the weight of the sins of the entire world for all time, Peter, James, and John did not want to be there by themselves with Jesus. In fact, in Jesus' suffering, they did not want to be with Jesus at all. As Judas led the guards of the Sanhedrin through the Garden of Gethsemane and confronted Jesus, the disciples all fled. They all ran away in terror. This is such a vivid illustration of how we mistake the purpose and identity of the glory of God in our lives. We want the awe and wonder of Jesus' glimmering brilliance in our lives. Don't believe me? Just try to consider the lyrics of maybe the last five or six modern praise and worship songs you've ever heard. We want to be in the presence of God so long as it is amazing and brilliant and glorious. We want to hear God speaking with Moses and Elijah supernaturally. We, at that point in our lives, would gladly speak Peter's words, it is good for us to be here. 
But when it comes to Jesus' suffering, when it comes to the violence of our redemption, when it comes to the reality of the picture of the disgusting nature of our sin, as we stand before God, we flee. We run away. The struggle of prayer and the daily life of repentance becomes monotonous for us. It becomes boring. It often doesn't yield immediate results for us as we pray and hope. And coincidentally, how many times have you literally been praying before bed and have literally fallen asleep on the job? The violence of our sin scares us. We flee from God's wrath. We pretend that our sin isn't a problem. We try to do something dumb and cancel things out only to make it worse, like Peter cutting off the ear of the servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anything but the price that Jesus is about to pay. In our lives, and maybe especially I would say here, in our lives in America, as prosperous and blessed as we are, what we want most is a victorious, gleaming Jesus, clean and shining bright. But what we get is a suffering Savior, battered and bloody, gasping for air on the cross, the image of the depth of our sin. But, dear saints, the Christ of the Transfiguration and the Christ of the cross are one and the same. They are the same God. They are the same Savior. And they are both for you. The brilliant glory and radiance of the heavenly Christ of the transfiguration is for you. And it is the same glory that nailed Christ to the cross instead of you. What this is in totality, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration shining brightly and Jesus on the Mount of Calvary dying in his last breath, both of those events are the glory of God to save you. The glory of God to overcome your sin and your death. The glory of God not only to suffer with you, but to suffer in your place so that your suffering might be overcome. As we prepare for the solemn reality of Lent, and as we, for the next seven weeks, meditate on the impact of our sin and our mortality, as we prepare for the emotions of Holy Week and the brutality of Good Friday and the celebration of Resurrection Sunday morning, we always remember that the glory of God is for us and that it overcomes. The transfiguration and the cross of Christ are not two polar opposites of the same divine spectrum. 
but they communicate the same reality. God is powerful. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. And God is for you to save you and deliver you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.